Welcome to the Parker Theology Club podcast, a ministry of Parker Memorial D'Armaville Campus. This broadcast is meant to encourage biblical thought and godly living. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Parker Theology Club podcast slash video this time. Uh, I am William Simpkins. That's my name. And mm. don't wear it out. And uh, I'm the worship and youth pastor here at Parker DC. We have Joey Bentley here, who is the pastor here. Hey, guys. And we have Kelly Amos, who is a deacon here and also a fellow brother and a businessman. <laughs> yeah. If that comes into play. Theology and business together. There you go. Yes. There you go. Yeah. So today... Um, we're just going to be discussing really this sort of an overview of the Trinity, which is, for me, one of my favorite topics to discuss as far as theological matters go. Um, is there's so many nuances that we'll get to dive in with this particular topic. So I'm really excited about that. Um, we're also going to, starting today, um, or starting on this podcast, we're going to be dividing up the podcast in segments. And so for uh, three different segments. So today it'll be, uh, we're going to, We'll get to those eventually, but the first one we were going to bring up here is uh, is a Todd White and his confession and repentance. Um, this yeah. recently happened. Yeah, so. that's we're calling this the uh, yeah. What is it? The one, two, three. Hot topic. Hot topic. That was yeah, terrible. Sorry. Still wow. again. One, two, three. Hot, hot topic. topic. There you go. Like hot pocket. Yeah. Nah, yeah. There you go. So recently, <laughs> uh, no, no copyright intended. Yeah. No yeah. copyright. Yeah. That's right. Uh, <laughs> recently, uh, if you're familiar with Todd White, Todd White is a pretty big name when it comes to the Word of Faith, uh, prosperity gospel uh, tradition. Uh, really, the heir apparent to Kenneth Copeland. Uh, in many ways, and has been embraced by Kenneth Copeland as well as others. Over the last couple of weeks, he has uh, publicly come out and in two different messages, uh, has come out and, and in many ways repented and confessed his uh, preaching of the false gospel. And so I, there's, there's an excitement in the air about that. Uh, and so our, our purpose here is not to slander Todd White, mm-hmm. uh, but really, hopefully, uh, not that Todd White will ever watch our episode, but <laughs> uh, but that hopefully he'll be encouraged that there are people out there praying for him as we walk through uh, what this uh, this confession or repentance was. So uh, you guys got a chance to watch it, correct? Yes. Uh, Kelly, you got to watch it mm-hmm. uh, as well. And so... Uh, if you have not watched it, I watched it yesterday twice. It was, I think it was two weeks ago, the message itself, and uh, about a 45-minute message. And throughout that, I'll tell you my kind of my initial thoughts, and you guys jump in here. My initial thoughts was, okay, I'm very leery because I, I, my skin crawls with the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. I just, mm-hmm. my, my heart is just aches by that. And so I was really leery of it. And the more I listened to Todd, uh, the more I, I had the conviction, I, I think, I think from what I see, I think it might be repentance. And I think it might be uh, a confession uh, of that he was preaching the false gospel. In fact, I just mentioned to these guys a minute ago, I, I, it's kind of to me, twice it occurred to my mind as I watched, uh, maybe what we're hearing actually is his salvation experience, that he was born again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so for that, I am excited. Now, if you don't know me, uh, my spiritual gift is like you, Will. Like I'm a mercy guy. I am a compassion guy. 
Kelly over there is a prophet by nature, spiritually, uh, mm-hmm. spiritual giftedness wise. And so we're kind of like on the polar opposites extremes, which means we, we ground each other out. You're like my mm-hmm. wife in that regard. Oh, uh, so, oh wow. That's yeah. on the record, too. You're not near as pretty as she is. She's near as pretty as she is, but she's a prophet by nature uh, as well. And so, Kelly, I'd like to hear, like, what, what, were your, what was your take on Todd White? Well, my take until, right up until about five minutes ago when I just read this, which is yeah. going to be news to all of us okay. from this Sunday's message about Todd White, okay. was that he was a – that he somehow through Costi Hind and American Gospel, it led him, though kicking and screaming, into wanting to research why he – <clears throat> believed what he believed and why it was so wrong and why yeah. and he got a hold of Spurgeon he got a hold of Ray Comfort apparently Spurgeon's the new things. guy to read right apparently <laughs> but then Watch I the look sermon. at I look at this comment from his message this Sunday yeah and it says I'm overtaken with gratitude for people that have prayed for me and have said man he's going off uh, they made a movie called American Gospel about me first of all it wasn't about him right <laughs> and then it said none of None of them called me to talk to me. Not one of them asked me to share my heart. If that's true, then they lied because they said Todd White declined interviews right. for that. Right. Um, and I don't think they lied about right. that uh, because we know from the second American gospel that they welcomed naysayers right. Right. into the thing. Um, none of them called me to talk to me. Not one of them asked me to share my heart. Not one of them asked me what I believe. They assumed and put me in a in a place of guilt by association with friends like Bill Johnson and Kenneth Copeland. Now all of a sudden Todd's the biggest heretic on the planet uh, or Benny Hinn. It's quoting him. So I guess he just forgot Benny Hinn. Um, Shame on you for not praying for me and talking to me, but making a movie thinking that you're God's police. You're going to stand before a holy God and answer for your life of judgment and hate. It's called murder. It's no different than racism. He's talking about the American gospel people. So yeah. you probably wow. just changed your mind a little bit. I probably, <laughs> yeah, I did. I not read that statement. <laughs> that was from okay, August so he, he did mention in that sermon I, I watched, uh, we've all watched, talking about he's not a legalist, and maybe he is, he's taken that conservative thought as legalism. Um, I, I think what we have to be careful with here, the, our purpose of our hot topic is what it pertains to a person. Is that we're not slandering the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're looking at the theological implications of the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, I mentioned this before. It's like Kanye. When Kanye uh, came out and became a Christian, and all of a sudden Kanye moved from a secular uh, environment and a star in the secular environment, and now he's a Christian, and he's taking the Christian uh, world by storm in that sense. There was a push, and, and people ask me about it when it all happened, like, what, what do you do with Kanye? There was a push to put him on the platform oh, as man. a spokesperson mm. for Christianity. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, wait, hold up, hold a second. This guy is a new Christian. Uh, is he a, a talented uh, musician? Absolutely. Um, but do we need, as, a, as the church, do we need to put the new Christian on the platform and give him the microphone on behalf of all of us? Absolutely and, not. Uh, Paul, yeah. what did Paul, what did Paul do when he was saved? Mm. He said, I did not for, at first consult with flesh and blood. Yeah. But he went and he spent what is it three three years three years yeah in the wilderness basically his seminary yep. before he came and he started seminary um, wilderness he, same thing yeah <laughs> well, so I'm sorry go ahead I was, oh, was going to I say, went to seminary by the way well you know scripture <laughs> you can say that scripture I can say that scripture speaks to this um when it, first Timothy three 
when uh, Paul is uh, writing to Timothy about uh, qualification for elders. And, of course, we know Kanye is not an elder, so there's that. But he's a spokesperson, so in a sense, he's still on a platform in that way. But um, but someone like Todd White, I can't help but think about this passage because it, it says one of the qualifications, the biblical qualifications for being a preacher is you must not be a recent convert. That's yeah. right. Um, and this is and th- and this is designed to really protect um, the church, the, the church, but also the the person yeah. <laughs> that yes. is being saved. You know, because there's obviously a, a growth that happens, and we know from our own individual lives. There's a, I mean, we're still growing, but especially yeah. those first couple of years, that that's a critical time in your in your walk and. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how Todd White handles it. But um, yeah. if it were me, I'd, I'd, I'd probably wouldn't want to be a pastor right now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't I, be. Again, I'm going to go back to hearing those remarks, Kelly. I'm, I'm going to go back to my hopefulness that there's a turning. Um, but I don't think he's formulated his belief over the last two weeks in change yet. Yeah. I think it's going to take saying. some time for him to uh, to work out his own salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2.12. You know, I, th- I think it's going to take some time for him to do that. And by saying things like that, he's creating hurdles for his pride, right, too. Right. So his pride, he will have to eat more crow by yeah. saying things like that. So right. to me, that's going backwards, and there's going to be a galvanization. And I'm not wishing this. God can change his heart truly. Yeah. But there's going to be a galvanization against it. Uh, I mean, Ray Comfort, I don't know if he knows this because he said he didn't watch the the movie. Yeah. He said he ripped it up, and I'll never watch this. Well, that's kind of ignorant. Yeah. Ray Comfort's on American Gospel as right. much as he's touting. Spurgeon is quoted yeah. profusely. I believe Whitfield is as well. So, yeah, what you referenced. So, so um, and and that doesn't. Anyway, I'll say this: ending this session, this hot topic. Look up Justin Peters yeah. and his grace, gracious assessment of this situation with Todd White. Justin Peters yeah. is a character, a character. He's a, character. a person. He's one of the characters. <laughs> He's a human being. On, um, He's not from Disney. On, no, <laughs> on American Gospel. Um, but he is, uh, look at Justin Peters, look at, look at his assessment of Todd White on this. I think it's spot on. So uh, let's turn our attention, uh, Will, to our theological resource. We're trying to break up this episode and all future episodes with a hot topic Hot topic, sorry. Uh, and then to a theological resource. Will uh, sent this, this text to us. It's called Delighting in the Trinity, an Introduction to the Christian Faith by Michael Reeves. Uh, he, he recommended this in a text uh, thread that we were in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ordered it for us. We've been reading it through it together. And I got to say, this is, a, this is an incredible read. And it is a, it's not a uh, theologically, uh, what's uh sinkhole book it yeah, is a delightful read, read. Yeah. it's yeah. a Funny. delightful read it's easy read yeah it's it's a fun read and i think it's helpful to understanding uh the trinity so uh today in this short segment of theological resource let's talk about a couple things from the introduction and from the first chapter the first chapter asked the question uh what was god doing before creation great question and so let's just talk about that first you guys i'm gonna turn it over to you Mm-mm. thoughts Mm-mm. and no no, you got this. You got the you, lead. Oh, you got okay. Well, I got the lead. I'm, I'm I'm opening my book here. Yeah. So <laughs> open the book. Okay. So let me let me just start with this. Uh, Michael Reeves. Uh, is that, yeah, Michael Reeves begins with uh, introducing the conversation of the Trinity as not something that is this 
philosophical concept or this constructed idea of man. Although the word Trinity is never used in the scripture, the Trinity is foundational to understanding not just God, this listen carefully, but salvation, the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I guess I never, I mean, again, I have some pretty rich theological background education wise. I guess I never put it in that perspective, but as I begin reading, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful the way he introduces the gospel in light of the Trinity. And so uh, our purpose is, is as we read this book, as we're getting, you know, not enlightened, but encouraged in that, that the Trinity is not some um, stuffy, I love the way he presents some stuffy idea presented by a bunch of monks that were bored. Uh, the Trinity is ingrained in the gospel, and it's helpful for us to understand as we as we unpack it together, which is what we'll be doing uh, this month on our uh, PTC episodes and our podcast. So, yeah, one of the to add to that, one of my favorite quotes that I've read so far, or this reread that I'm doing. Uh, this was this is also a textbook that I had in one of my classes. So this is why I, I initially recommended it is because I remember this shaped me um, a lot when I was in school but anyway on one of the first pages uh, he writes uh, quote yet Christianity is not primarily about lifestyle change it Mm -hmm. is about knowing God to know and grow to enjoy him is what we are saved for and and that is what we're going to be going to press into here and what and what he's saying um, is that we can grow it grow in knowing God and loving God and enjoying God by understanding the Trinity uh, by, or by studying the Trinity because we can't fully there's no way to yeah. we can rightly understand it and which he which he actually writes in here we can rightly yeah. understand yeah. the Trinity um, but obviously not exhaustively I think there's a mystery yeah. to the Bible and knowing God but I love I love what he says in the top, top page 12 mm-hmm. I quote so it is with God. God is a mystery, but not in the alien abduction, things that go bump in the night sense. Mm-hmm. And later on that paragraph, he said, the Trinity is a God we can know and forever grow to know better. Mm-hmm. So we can, uh, we can know God as we look at the Trinity. We can, we can understand God and we can, we can know God in that sense. It, you know, again, it sometimes it's a cop-out. Uh, we don't want to think theologically. We don't want to think in the depths of Scripture. And so we just, we just mark it up to mystery when it's really there's certain things that aren't mystery. We're just lazy when it comes to our yeah. our pursuit yeah. of Scripture. And then it says, yeah, he, on that same page it says, uh, all of which to say the Trinity is not a problem. It's, Absolutely this not. This is how we, how we are understanding it. And then he yeah. says, pressing into the Trinity, uh, pressing into the Trinity, we are doing what Psalms 27, uh, when David said he could do all the days of his life, uh, we are, and then he says, we are gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. And that's yep. the pursuit of, of studying the Trinity is right. gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. And that's and it, so we it's helpful for us to go from looking at this topic as being like a, yeah. a black hole where there's no way to really understand it to the purpose being to understand how beautiful God is. Yes. And um, and I th- this book really helps with that. So I got I got one more from the introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this is kind of a summary statement as far as understanding the Trinity. Uh, Michael Reeves says, and so because the Christian God is triune, the Trinity is the governing center of all Christian belief, the truth that shapes and beautifies all others. The Trinity, listen to this, I love this description, is the cockpit mm-hmm. of all Christian thinking. The that. cockpit, which is the, that, that center place of all control of all Christian thinking. So mm-hmm. to know God is the first objective. You know, you can't understand salvation or the gospel without understanding who God is on a triune level. 
So th- that's why we're we're doing this. When we pick this like this episode or this this cop- uh, conversation's topic up. Uh, there's the initial, there's an apprehension of the Trinity. Okay, like, so there's, how do we, how do we describe uh, one God and three persons? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of terrible illustrations about that. We'll <laughs> most get, of them. Yeah, most of them. We'll get there in a minute. Um, but it was really helpful, I think, to understand the gospel. Yeah. So that's why we picked it up uh, in this episode. So let me ask that question in chapter one. What was God doing before creation? What was God doing before creation? Just chilling. Just, just chilling. I, I mean, like, essentially, they, God was perfect in contentment. Yes. Within the relationship between the mm-hmm. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So in a way, in a cosmic way, yes, he was chilling. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, laughing back there. Time, time itself is part of creation. Yeah. So God created time. Right. And what we do not understand is necessarily how God is glorified um, by everything that happens in creation. Only he knows that. But we know that everything that he has created, everything that has happened and been decreed has been ultimately to most to, to most glorify himself. That, that is his ultimate goal, to glorify himself. He loves himself most. He's the only being for which self-love is a virtue, not a sin. So in that self-love, mm-hmm. and one of the things it hits on in this book is that how can a singular being, and I might be jumping, jumping no, in. You're good. How can a singular being even understand love for someone else? Mm-hmm. Right. But right. They can't. Right. Yeah. So I think one of the uh, errors, uh, one of the fo- foundational errors in theology is that we assume we come to creation, and which we've already discussed a couple of episodes back, is that God somehow needed somebody to keep him company. How arrogant is that? That's why he created creation. Yeah. That's, yeah. How arrogant is that? That God was lonely. not content in among himself, among the Trinity. I mean, how arrogant is that of mankind? And so if you begin with that presupposition that God needs man, that makes you get man the center of glory. Yeah. You get I mean, Western Christianity. You get yeah. uh, that's, that's, uh, I'd yeah. say a little bit more of a humble question was given by my daughter yesterday, Carrie Ann, yeah. uh, when we were discussing it. She said, did, did God create us just because he was bored? And coming from a 14-year-old, that's... Profound. Yeah, yeah. great question. He's like, what is it? And then I got to go into what we've talked about here, and that which leads into deeper subjects. Does she not listen? Does she not listen to the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) No. My dad's podcast? No, No, I started American Gospel with it. She said, is this a documentary? (laughs) I don't want to disappoint you, Daddy, but this just isn't going to work for me. (laughs) (laughs) So I I love the description uh, as, as chapter one unpacks Okay, what was God doing before creation? It goes to a verse, John chapter 17, uh, verse 24, where Jesus says, you love, he's speaking to the Father, this is the uh, beautiful uh, high priestly prayer in the garden. He says, you love me before the creation of the world. So uh, as Michael Reeves unpacks, what God was doing before the creation of the world was he was loving his son. Mm -hmm. He was a father First, yeah, prime, yeah, not a creator, yeah. not a ruler, and the, and the danger of uh, flipping that around, making God creator and ruler, that makes God seem like a tyrant, mm-hmm. you know, and that God needs somebody to rule over. Therefore, He created all creation. 
God was perfectly content being father first. Yeah. And that, then, as you look at the attributes of God, all of that stemmed from his fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a beautiful picture. And I, I guess I never conceived it first uh, until now, but yeah. absolutely, God is father first. Yeah, because <laughs> if, if he did need creation to exist in order to be God, then he's not ultimately depending on himself, but he's depending on something that he creates. Absolutely. And so, like, from a logis- like a logical as we think logically about um, who God is in the Trinity, that would obviously be a, f- a false argument because God himself isn't dependent on anything but himself right. because right. he's God. Right. And, uh, yes, I, th- I think Michael yeah. Reeves unpacked that. I think, I think he nailed it yeah. in chapter one. Let me, let yeah. me give you one long nailed paragraph, it. and then we're going to transition right into... Um, you said nailed it, and I'm looking at your shirt. Nailed it. Nailed, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> if you're, if you're check listening out. to this, it's, it's a... Uh, we're wearing our theology T-shirts today. Joey says it's got a picture of a hammer. It says, "No, the door was not broken. I'm just fixing your theology." Martin Luther, fifteen seventeen. There you go. <laughs> Ninety five theses. Ninety five like theses. Look it up. There Google it. Google it. There you go. Go buy your T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> let, let me just read this on page twenty-seven. That is why it's important to note that the Son is the eternal Son. There was never a time when He didn't exist. If there were, then God is a completely different sort of being. There was once a time when the son didn't exist, and there was once a time when the father was not yet a father. If that is the case, then once upon a time God was not loving, since all by himself right. he would have had nothing, nobody to love. Commenting on Hebrews 1.3, which says, The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The fourth century theologian Gregory of Nicaea explained this. As the light from the lamp is of the nature of that which sheds the brightness and is united with it, for as soon as the lamp appears, the light that comes from it shines out simultaneously. So in that place, in the, this place, the apostle would have us would have us cons- consider both the Son, that the Son is of the Father, and that the Father is never without the Son. For it is impossible that this glory should be without radiance, as it is impossible that the lamp should be without brightness. Hmm. Yeah. I think our tendency is to judge and put on God the system that we that he has put in place for us yeah. and we project that back to him yeah. because yes a father is older than their son in real life so in our minds we've locked that in to that must apply to God right. and guess what people our lives and how we function do not apply to God or do not have to apply to God right. nor are they intended to apply to God he has applied who he is to us so that we can have a glimpse yeah. of him and yeah, who absolutely. he is and when he first did that with Adam and Eve death was not in, was not the set intention for that, it was obedience and, and communion and perfect yep. communion. Yep. So, so let's encourage you guys to go out and uh, purchase the Lighting of the Trinity and Introduction to the Christian Faith by Michael Reeves. You can find that in a lot of different places. I found it on Amazon, uh, fairly cheap, like ten bucks or so. So, great, great uh, resource for understanding the Trinity and, like I said, delightful read. Uh, if you just need something to kind of chill out, there's a lot of humor as well involved with it. All right, so let's turn our attention to our main discussion, guys. Uh, I kind of formulated a little bit of an outline for us so we can kind of stay on task because uh, there's a tendency among this group to uh <laughs> what was that i thought we were on the main discussion uh, i well, know we were doing the resources now we're too. now we're turning to uh to the main topic the doctor of the trinity well how about this uh can we take just a quick break uh real quick and let megan give us some give a uh, quick blurb yeah <laughs> all right megan let, take it away and let us and i'm gonna get ready over here all right thanks all right, thanks 
If you're interested in joining us at Parker DC, we would love to have you. Please check us out at dclivelove.com for worship times and other info. Enjoy the rest of the episode. So let's turn our attention now to uh, discussing uh, the doctrine of Trinity. And kind of our, our focus this month is we're taking this holistically as we're looking at the Trinity, which we'll give you definitions and then the Baptist faith and message here in a second. But we're looking at this over the course of four weeks. Uh, kind of overview today, we're looking at the historical development and biblical development and I, I'm in that order, and I'm going to tell you why in a second. And then some heresies that the early church had to combat in regard to uh, – the divine uh, person of Jesus Christ specifically, but also the spirit and the triune nature of God. And so all of that played together in the first four or five centuries of the church and was being fleshed out. And so we'll talk about that today. And then the next three weeks, we're going to look at who are each person of the Trinity uh, and then what is their relationship to each other. I think that's an important, okay, who is, who is God the Father, and what is his relationship with the Son and the Spirit? Who is the Son, and is his relationship with the Father and the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit likewise? So uh, that's kind of our, our focus over the next month, over the next uh, few weeks anyway, and hopefully that'll kind of help us bring us all in the same conversation and give us something to study for as we look forward to the next episode. So Will, uh, if you'll give us a definition and read for us with the Baptist faith and message, which that's sure. our conservative tradition, uh, our denominational belief. Yeah. Yeah, so just the definition for the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, um, it is this. It's uh, there is one God who exists in three distinct persons, are whom, uh, well, it yeah. exists in three distinct persons in whom all are full, the three consisting of one, which makes they're all fully God, right? If that makes sense. <laughs> let me let me let me read it one more time because I'm yeah, sure that didn't sound like you were reading that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I got I got mixed up right here. So yeah, there's an extra R. In yeah, my, there's yeah. one. Oh, that's, that's on the uh, outline guy. That yeah, was, sorry. There is one God who exists in three distinct persons, in whom are all fully God. Yes. Does that make sense? That yeah. makes okay. sense. Okay, good. Yeah, right. I'm not a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> One God, three persons. There's a typo. Um, we okay. talk about your employment. <laughs> no, <just kidding>. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, and so this is what uh, is okay. written from the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, uh, which is, I think it's important, this and the one from 2000. So. It is, uh, it is this, quote, There's one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is all-powerful and all-knowing, and his perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, and future including the future decisions of his free creatures. To him, we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. That's right. Well put. All right, so let's talk about the historical development. And the reason why... I want to start with the historical development because I mentioned earlier the word Trinity is never used in Scripture, although it is explicit in Scripture. Okay, it is clear in Scripture, which we'll get to in a minute. But I want us to see how the early church fathers came to this understanding. In fact, it was Tertullian that actually came up with the, the word Trinity, uh, and so that was second century. Uh, and so. Uh, how did our early church fathers begin to construct this idea of the Trinity using God's words? So I want to reverse. Normally, I would begin, obviously, with Scripture, 
because that's the, that's the, the focus of where all of our beliefs come from, as we've established. But I want to look at the historical and then look at the scriptures and how that support, supports the decisions of the early church, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately we'll get back to a few heresies that even affect modern cults today. So the first uh, council that we need to discuss uh, real briefly is the first council of Nicaea, which happened around 325 A.D., and it was held in Bithynia in Asia Minor and was overseen by the Roman Emperor Constantine. Uh, if you don't know anything about Constantine, Constantine um, really kind of made Christianity popular, uh, proclaimed the true manhood and the true divinity of Jesus Christ, and decreed the doctrine of the Trinity. It was from this council that the Nicene Creed then was formulated. So if you follow church history whatsoever, go Google Nicene Creed, uh, really one of the, it's the earliest church creeds. The council was held to counter the heresy of Arius. This is Arianism, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but uh, who denied the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, a lot of players in this, Athanasius was one of those guys who was uh, obviously in, in a opposition to that. Uh, there's a guy named Humorous, yes, who was also a part of that discussion. Uh, to, yeah, he was really funny. Uh, that helped kind of a dull, formulate a, a conservative evangelical thought in regard to the heresy of Arius. <coughs> Arius was saying that uh, Jesus was not divine. Okay, and so the the church was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Scripture seems to indicate otherwise, and so they formulated this first uh, creed, the Nicene Creed, and the first Council of Nicaea. Anything y'all want to jump in on top of that, or you want me to share uh, the historical overview? You go ahead. You. Okay. So then there's the First Council of Constantinople, uh, which is around 381 uh, A.D., and they just again said belief in the Holy Spirit was added to the, the Nicene Creed. So then they formulate, okay, it wasn't just God the Father, God the Son. Believe fully then, after looking at Scripture, that the Holy Spirit was also fully God. And so there was a triune understanding of that, more formulated officially. And that was roughly 40 years, 50 years uh, a little 50 years later on. So, again, uh, theology historically, this is, what you, this is what we have to be careful today in our modern theology, is that we think we're the only ones who knew anything. Uh, I think that theology should be viewed through the test of time. Mm-hmm. And so don't disregard uh, old theology. I love old commentaries. I love old commentaries mm-hmm. because old commentaries are full, most of them, of deep theology that is missing in some of the modern commentaries. But So don't disregard uh, early thought because early thought helps us make sure that we're orthodox as far as our own belief. So. Then there's the Council of Ephesus, which was uh, 431 uh, AD. It was held in, to counter the heresy of Nestorius. This council reaffirmed the church's doctrine of the incarnation of Christ and its position that the word of God was made man, where, where Nestorius taught that Jesus, that in Jesus there were two separate persons. There was Jesus the man, Jesus the God. The council agreed that in Jesus there was one person with two natures, okay? So now we're fleshing out the nuances of the Son here, all important to the development of the Trinity, okay? Nestorius also taught that Mary was the mother of Christ, but not the mother of God. Uh, we'll leave that there. The Council of Chalcedon was the last one. We'll discuss 451 A.D. Uh, was held to counter the, this is interesting, the monophysite, or monophysite doctrines. Did I say that right? Uh, um, sure. Which are, yeah, there you go. I had a professor one time in seminary say, hey, when you have a hard word, just say it with conviction and confidence. Nobody will know the difference. So uh, especially when it comes to names in the Bible, just, just do it. So against the two natures of Christ, as well to uh, reaffirm the church's position in opposing the historians. Chalcedon also referred, or cl- clarified the church's position with respect to its doctrine concerning the, tr- the true nature of Christ. This council defined the final elements in the Trinitarian formula by declaring that Christ existed in two natures, man and 
God, without mixture or change, without division or separation, but his two natures were held in union in one person Mm -hmm. without losing the separate distinction of either uh, nature. All right. So uh, about 600 bishops attended that and helped formulate that. Now, guys, let's look at some scripture. All right. So how do we understand the Trinity? How do we get Trinity out of the scripture if the word is never used in the scriptures? Well, there are hundreds of texts, hundreds of scriptures that reference the Father and the Son and the Spirit in some some level together, okay? Or Father, the Son, or the Son, the Spirit, uh, all of which place all three of them as fully God, okay? So let's begin one of my favorites, all right? The Great Commission. This is what Jesus, I always, when I look at th- theology, I want to look what a whole scripture says, but I specifically want to say what Jesus says, okay? As a evangelical, I want to see what Jesus says. Jesus says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And when you do that, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So is Jesus saying that he is fully God? Yeah, he said that a number of times. We'll read some of those texts. Is he saying the Holy Spirit is also fully God? It seems to suggest that, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't see how you could read that text and think otherwise. Uh, John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. Jesus says, hey, we're, we're, we're one. You know, uh, we can't separate the two uh, from each other. And that loving relationship, as we talked about from Michael Reed's book, that loving relationship, they're, they're inseparable. Yeah. Second Corinthians 13, verse 14. You guys just jump in. Like, I'm just talking. Well, I was going to say on John 10, 30. Yeah. Um, the, there's a lot of uh, cults, yeah. I'll say, that will we'll try to say, well, they're, they're one in purpose. And that they're, not, they're not one as in he is God. They're one in purpose. But yeah. I'm pretty sure the Pharisees knew um, what he meant by that, considering they were picking up rocks to stone him right. after he said that, if you right. read it in context. So they knew what he was saying. He was saying, we are one. Um, they're not the they're not the same, but they are one. Well, that's why he got so. crucified. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. why he was killed is yeah. that he was claiming to be God, yeah. right? Uh, which is heresy yeah, to them. Not, yes, not to us, but to, to in those days, you know, they were that's right. blasphemy. Um, that's right because there was a, it was an the, the God that they saw was not a trinitarian God. It was an unoriginate, a one who had no origin who wouldn't even have been father it was Yahweh yeah. it was so and I'm sure we'll jump into this too but that's what makes um the God the God of the Bible the one we serve the one the one true God uh different from that's what makes him different from the so-called gods the of Buddhism and right. uh, Hinduism and right. um Islam particularly there's this a monotheistic um, yeah. Yeah. religion but they believe it's just one singular, you know, God, and they actually said says in the Quran. I think I think maybe my, my, Michael Reeves may have, in his book, touched on this, but he was saying there's a part in the Quran where it actually says, "You shall not say that God is three. Like it was uh, yes. very clear. Like that yeah, he was trying it was, to it was responsive to Christianity. Christianity. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, like, I'm going to take a pause there for a second, talk about uh, Islam, which we can come back and have another discussion on. Uh, if you've ever visited Israel, the uh, Muslims will claim that uh, they, they have held Jerusalem longer than anybody else, that uh, biblically, historically, biblically, Christianity has been around thousands of years, thousands of years. Um, you talk about Islam, 
you're talking 1,500 years. I know Christianity from Christ, 2,000 years, but the faith looking forward to okay, Christ, yeah. you're going back thousands of years beyond. Uh, when you're looking at Islam, you're talking 1,500 years. So, uh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're responding to the Muslim faith is responding to Christianity, not Christianity yeah. back to the Muslim faith. Mm-hmm. So, in that regard. So, let's look at the baptism of Jesus. Another moment of where you have all three together. Uh, Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, so Father speaking, with whom I am well pleased. In that moment, the one being baptized is Jesus, the Son, the one who is affirming vocally from heaven, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the anointing one, Jesus is referred to as the Messiah, the anointed one, is actually resting on Jesus. So here's the important thing about the Trinity that's so bad when it comes to like different illustrations. We like to have these illustrations to help us understand it. Like the, the, the water, like, okay, so water is, it's, it's like, you know, you got the Holy Spirit's like the mist, you know, mm-hmm. and you got uh, the, the, the solid part of water, that's God, the Father. And then when it melts, it's Jesus, you know, he's the yeah, liquid part of water. It's modalism. Yeah, it's modalism, yeah. exactly. Uh, but they don't but exist at the same HG. time, right? And in this moment, they all exist at the same time. That's the Trinitarian view, is that all three of them exist at the same time and are working coherently together mm-hmm. at the same time. You cannot separate You can't put them in modes. We'll get to modalism. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So a number of other verses highlighting. We're going to highlight some of these as we get into specific parts of the Trinity. Uh, But nonetheless, there there are a number of them. I I just simply put it out here, probably 30 or so scriptures, uh, and that's helpful for us when it comes to the Trinity developing that. So on a quick note, let's go to... Uh, the best illustration and picture of the Trinity. We can come back to scriptures too, if you'd like to. Uh, The best illustration is not a three-leaf clover. It is not water. The best illustration is this understanding that God, it's it's that uh, beautiful diagram that God is three distinct persons. Okay, so there's God the Father. Um, He is not the Son. There's God the Father who is... He is the eternal God, the Father, who is loving the Son, as we talked about earlier, okay? There is the Son, who's also eternal. Go look at Colossians chapter 1, all right? Mm-hmm. Go look at John chapter 1, all right? Uh, so there's the Son, who's also eternal, and then there's the Holy Spirit. They are all God, okay? Mm-hmm. All equally God, all eternal in nature, none of which was made like some people get understanding of misunderstanding of the word begotten of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus was not made in the sense that he was born. Uh, he has always been now in his incarnation. He was born in human flesh. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But he has always been the, the word begotten is a reference to his birthright, mm-hmm. that he is the firstborn of all creation. Yeah. You know, he is the, the one who receives the inheritance, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's why we say, that's why we say God pre incarnation. Uh, and then even still, but, as we read earlier, you know, Jesus or the Son has, you know, two different, you know, he's God and also hu- human, right. you know. And right. the, the resurrected Christ is still the resurrected body of Christ. So right. that's a whole different discussion. But um, so, so we're, yeah. in the, in the picture of the Trinity, so all three are God, okay? 
but they're not each other. So the Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. Neither is the Son the Father, or the Son is not the Holy Spirit. They all work in unison together. That's the, you, have to, you have to realize they all have a relational purpose to one another, okay, which we can unpack over the next few weeks. Now, uh, I have a quick question. Oh, yeah. On, on the illustrations, let me, let me defend the heart behind some of the illustrations oh, yeah. here. Um, all you have to do is have some curious children <laughs> that come across God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're one, asking a few deep questions, yeah. and it makes you feel like you need to come up with an illustration to give that. And um, I don't think, I don't think, I think the heart behind those things are good and, and even helping understand. Cause if I, if I shared, which I've never shared it with Landon, but the H2O example, it's not, it's not bad for a children's example. As long that. as you caveat that they all work and use them together. I think that's the big thing. Yeah. Like I have used that illustration with Bethany before, yeah. you know, as we've talked through the Trinity, but I always caveat, okay, this is no illustration is perfect when it comes to this. You have to understand we're talking about God. He is, he's not to be, he's not to be put in the same level as mankind. Our right, understanding. Right. So, and and that's one of the things that I, when we're here, if if we if we were told a story about this Trinitarian being and how awesome and great he is and how, and how they and work together to create this wonderful, magnificent God and who he is. And this wonderful, magnificent God that we've been now been introduced to is going to create something in its own image. We see what a wonderful idea. And what is this thing going to be? And that's what creation was. That's who we are, who we've become. Now we've been tainted by sin, but we tend to look at our tainted self and project that on the Trinity Rather than working from the Trinity down, um, we can't we can't do that. Yeah, so absolutely. All right. So let's look at the three three errors, three heresies that ultimately show up in, in cults and even other religions today. Uh, and really, all of that played a huge part in develop of development of the early church councils and the doctrine of the Trinity. All right. So again, you have to understand the church, the early church, as they're formulating uh, biblical thought and belief and conviction in the first four or five centuries, was having to find a way to articulate to naysayers and articulate to those that wish to destroy the church. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so the church came up with the understanding of the Trinity that was foundational in scripture, but put it to words, so to speak. All right, so the main, main three errors, heresies, uh, first would be modalism. Modalism claims that there is one person who appears to us in three different modes, okay? Y'all want to unpack that for me? Like, what does that mean? Like, three different modes. What are we talking about? There's a quick change. Yeah. He's, he's got, well, he shows up here, and he shows up there, and we're in different skirts and I like he shows he, and, Like, the, the, the same, basically the same for lack of better terms, the same version of God can change versions of God depending on what's necessary. Yeah, it's it's yeah. the Superman in a telephone booth yeah. idea, like that God steps in the telephone booth, changes to Jesus, and goes and does the thing, but you never see them together. You know, they yeah. never never work in unison. That's modalism. You right. know, and and really, you still see that today. There are still people who believe modalism today, or at least functionally believe that. Uh, they, oh, yeah. And you see that even in, in the church, yeah, evangelical churches, say. even. Mm -hmm. So. 
All right, so, so uh, subordinationism, I probably misspelled that, or mis- subordinationism, also known as Arianism, which is really the first church council was in direct uh, conflict with, mm-hmm. claims that the Son and the Holy Spirit are subordinate to the Father in nature and being, not co-equals. Uh, Arianism claims that the Son is created and not divine, which, by the way, is also Mm-hmm. Seen over in Jehovah's Witness. Okay, so the cult of Jehovah's Witness. I'll say that out loud. The cult of that. Arianism claims that the Son is created and not divine, and so there's this hierarchy of God. Mm-hmm. There's God the Father, who is overall, and there's Jesus, who's like in second place, and then here's the Trinity down here, who finished third, right? Yeah. But they're not co-equals. Well, yeah. when you look at the scriptures. I don't see how you get a scriptural view of that, you know. Um, And the practicality of that, both in that and modalism, is um, because some people say, okay, you're right. Is that what your goal is? Is that our goal here with this podcast, just to be right about something, more right than the next? No, no. If it's not practical, then I don't think we should talk about it. And it is practical because we have to understand we know we see a God who is love, who can separate us from the love of God, Paul says. And if it is a God of love and that God <clears throat> existed before anything outside of time and he wasn't Trinitarian, he didn't have from the beginning and that's who he is, then he would not know Love. He would neither desire love. So we, we would have to make him up. We'd have to change who he is. And this is what I believe Arian did is he changed him into a God who one of two things either has a need or was unloving. So God either needs, which is heresy, mm-hmm. or God is unloving, which is heresy. So in or, if God is one and not Trinity, then it's clearly heresy because he either needs or he's unloving. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So the final uh, heresy and cult as a result of that uh, that we see in regards to the Trinity is that of tritheism, which denies that there is only one God. Instead, claims that there are three gods of the Christian faith that uh, you separate God the Father, separate God the Son, God, and separate God the Holy Spirit into three distinct gods. And that's what you see in the cult of Mormonism. Uh, mm-hmm. You all see that played out in other world religions as well in that view, but Mormonism is the proponent of that uh, that cult. So, so you're separating all three of them. You have three distinct gods, but clearly in the word, it, the scriptures say over and over, God is one. Yeah, God is one. God is one. That's so, how can you take a conservative evangelical approach, which you, it's not, uh, from those those texts and think that God is somehow three distinct different right. gods? So we wrap up today, uh, I'm going to give you this quote from, doc, uh, from Dr. Martin uh, Lloyd-Jones. Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is a differentiating, differentiating doctrine of the Christian faith. I think that's helpful to understand. The doctrine of the Trinity is the differentiating doctrine of the Christian faith. One of the things that we said last week in the, in the podcast, that there are forks in the road when it comes to um, biblical thought. If you don't hold a, a, a pure view of the Trinity, a biblical view of the Trinity, uh, this is another one of those fork in the roads. There's a lot of these early. Um, mm-hmm. When you look at sin, last week we talked about sin. Absolutely, sin is one of those foundational forks in the road. But so is the view of the Trinity. Because mm-hmm. if you get this wrong, you, see the, the, you don't see the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, which is 
absolutely necessary yeah. for the gospel and for the Christian life. Yeah, well, I was going to say, and Jesus himself was like, if, you, if you've denied me, you've, I'm paraphrasing, but he's saying, if you deny me, you're denying the Father. So I, I would take it a step further and say that you must believe in a Trinitarian God in order. I mean, I believe God's grace is, is vast and all, and all of so many different ways, but this is one of those that you, yeah. we have to agree on this. Yeah. Like, and like it's you, you submit, like, obviously you can be, when, as soon as you're saved, the knowledge of these things do, is not, not downloaded into you. Yeah, you it's not do immediate. that as you learn. Yeah. But when you're faced with, with the knowledge and what Bible teaches and you reject that, that is, that's, that's apostasy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, no doubt. So, yeah. So, yeah, as we're teaching these things, the, your kids don't have to know exactly what the Trinity is. Mar- uh, Mallory said, told Leah when she was driving in the car the other day that God has two kids. One's the <laughs> son and one's the Holy Spirit. What happened to their mother? Did she die? So yeah. Leah got to explain the Trinity to a four-year-old. Yeah. And it's hard to do what you can. Talk to an adult about like, it. Ob- right. Obviously, the gospel is what saves. Obviously. Right. Um, but after we get past that point, mm-hmm. we have to have come to an understanding of the Trinity, especially for the church. Like the arch, like I'm so thankful for our church that we go to. Um, but a true Christian church must affirm the Trinity. Absolutely. If it doesn't, yeah. it's not a church. So yeah, Trinity, again, church. just wrap up. This is the introduction because we're going to start unpacking this over the next few weeks uh, together. The Trinity is one God, three divine persons, all which are co-equal and co-eternal. That is the the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, how they relate to each other is fascinating, and we'll unpack that in the next few weeks. Anything else you guys want to say? We're trying to wrap up today. And this is why, like my shirt says, theology matters. That's right. Because this is why we're doing this, because these things, if we just said, oh, well, just it's fine. It's just some of those nuances that you can leave. No, it's not. It's not. So anyway. And I I think it's, again, I'm not trying to trace a rabbit when we're wrapping up here. I think it's important that we understand the importance of all three persons of the Trinity. Like I have found in our traditional Baptist settings, man, we really champion. We love God, the creator, and we really love Jesus. But we really, really, really are uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit. So I think it's important for us to study this topic because we see how they work in unison together. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are not three competing for our attention. They're all three working for our, our good. You yeah. Know? And the, the kind of ending it with uh, one of the first points we made is that Michael Reeves said in his book, you know, this, the study of Trinity is ultimately for God's own glory. But for us, this is this subject and getting to know God and who he is, the tr- the triune God for who he is, is a way that we become more satisfied. In That's him. right. Uh, we, we delight more in God because, right. he, we, cause, because we can see more so how beautiful God is. And, and so, <laughs> it, whereas the study of this, of the Trinity can seem like a daunting task, um, I just want to encourage the listeners to to know that when you start diving into this very deep pool, <laughs> yeah. you will find that it is it is a pool worth diving into. And it's uh, not as overwhelming, I think, as we make it out to be. Yeah, right. uh, no doubt. There's there's beauty in the journey through. Yeah. So, no doubt. Well, uh, join us next week as we come back and we discuss God the Father, and mm-hmm. we'll pick that up next week. When do you guys want to wrap us up with yeah. prayer? All right, let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time we have uh, on this podcast, Father, and amongst these uh, brothers to discuss you and who you are in the depths of you. Uh, let us not forsake that. Let us not be lazy-minded in our faith, Father, but, but draw us to you through, um, through the depths of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next time.